Uh, this is Disciple Life, the Bible and everyday life. I am Carlos Garduño, your host, and the theme, uh, the constant uh, protagonist to this Q&A is Pastor Dan Newberg, the lead pastor at First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas. So we have been gone for about two weeks or so, so our apologies on that front. Uh, however, we want to come back to this and begin with a very meaningful season in the Christian calendar. Uh, Pastor Dan, why don't you tell us or share with us what makes this season of the year so special for the Christian church? Sure, but I got a question for you. Uh, since you've Go introduced ahead. me as a protagonist, does that make you the antagonist? No, Satan is that. Satan is the antagonist. Oh, okay. I just wanted I'm to the define... I'm the Sancho Panza. the boundaries of our relationship right now. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm the Sancho Panza to your Don Quixote. Sancho Panza. <laughs> um, Advent. Advent is a thing that, uh, that and something you got to know is Pastor Carlos and I are, are ministers uh, at, a, at a Southern Baptist church. And Advent is something that um, is maybe a word that we are less familiar with uh, coming from this tribe of Christianity. Um, but Advent actually uh, within the Christian calendar marks the start of the, the new Christian calendar year. Um, and the, the intention of Advent is to invite the church to reflect upon the Advent of Jesus Christ. Now, Advent is a word that means uh, coming or means arrival. And so it's in his coming or in his arrival that we, um, that we as the church are invited to reflect upon the coming of Christ. Now, we know uh, that there are, are two aspects to Christ's coming. The first, uh, particularly as Advent is um, aligned with the holiday of Christmas, um, invites us to think about his first coming in the incarnation, uh, where the second person of the Trinity uh, abandons heaven and adds to himself humanity um, and, uh, and, and lives a perfect life. And so, we, we know the birth narratives that, uh, that we often turn to at this time of year, uh, recalling and recounting um, the, the place and lowliness of, of the birth of, of the Son of God. Um, but Advent also invites us to, to consider not just that first coming, but his promised and assured second coming. Um, so it's it's in these the the tensions between uh, his first coming and his second coming that we uh, we are invited to reflect upon uh, the these two arrivals um, and their significance for the life of the Christian and for the church. There we go. So one of the things that I I really enjoy about observing this particular season, number one. Um, there's an element of mystery that comes with the decoration of our sanctuary. There's an element of awe that comes with uh, certain hymns and songs that we present during worship, uh, for which we are thankful for Brother Scott and the choir and the worship team that leads us. Um, 
what is outside of the the given for the Christian, the Orthodox Christian, let's be very pointed here, outside of the hope of the incarnation, what is your favorite thing about Advent? Outside of the the incarnation, what is my favorite thing about Advent? Um, yes. Man, you, you could have you uh, slid me that question so I could have thought about it instead of putting me on the spot. Um, my, my, I, I, what I would, what I would suggest that, that I enjoy so much is, uh, is the, the thematic focus that, that we, that we take week to week. Um, so, uh, this past Sunday was the first Sunday of Advent and, and so, um, we we consider the theme of hope. And so as we think about not just the incarnation, not just the second coming, which are significant events, right? Like I don't want to be understood as um, as diminishing um, the effectual uh, impact uh, of, of the coming of Christ. Um, but just considering, well, how, what does this mean for me as a Christian in light in light of Christ's coming that affords me and the church hope as we considered right. this last week, um, or we're looking forward to this Sunday. What does this mean in the peace that, uh, that, that we're given because of Christ or in the week after that, the love, uh, and joy, um, which are the four themes that, that our church will be working through this year. Um, so it's, it's a, what I, what I value is uh, the invitation to to prayerfully um, reflect upon Advent um, in light of those thematic focuses. Right. And, and How about you? Totally I'm going to ask the same question to you. Well, I think I already answered it, talking about the element of what it does to our worship. There's an element of mystery about it, not in the Sherlock Holmes mystery genre, but there's a certain, shall we say, um, there's a certain presence of God when we focus on the the fact that, yes, he was incarnate, but because of his incarnation through in Christ Jesus, we have hope that's better than anything else this world can offer. We have a love that is greater than any relationship uh, can afford us. So it is, we have a peace that is, it's uh, everlasting, not like the peace of the world, as Jesus would say, my peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but as only the Father gives. Um, and that we can celebrate all of those things intentionally, not haphazardly. I, I like that about Advent. And so yeah. to me, that's that's majestic. Cherry on tap for that for me is the fact that my children uh, are getting to an age, especially Michael, who is the oldest. He's getting into an age where he can fully understand that it's not so much the Christmas tree. It's not so much the present. Now, don't get me wrong. He's still asking for his presence. But that is not a driving force anymore, for which I'm very thankful. Um we get to display the best of Christianity in like five weeks and make it yeah. intentional. 
And and I would add to a, a second point that you're drawing out is in in accentuating the 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 mystery and the the truth and reality of the incarnation. Um, it actually challenges this season, particularly for those of us in the United States um, that are so driven by materialism. Um, right. Now you're, you're, you're pointing to a desire of a, of a young boy for presence. Um, and, but there, there's, there's a balance that Advent introduces to the Christian home that would uh, impress upon that home. It's not about the, the wrapping paper and the, and the, um, and, and, and the tinsel and things like that. It, it is right. about, it is about, God who, who took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. Um, and that is absolutely counter to our, our society that is driven by possession, owning things, acquiring things. Um, there, there's such depth and richness to that. Right. And so I think that's a, a perfect introduction to this particular uh, podcast uh, episode because uh, on Sunday you delivered a message that was titled what hope does anyone have and so you walk us through the theme of hope now as a way of introduction to the to the just this discussion we'll have here in video what is the um, what's the importance of hope for a Christian why should we be hopeful at all Um, and Christ gives us hope. Uh, he gives us hope that uh, by by what He's done on our behalf and for our regard, that we can be uh, restored in fellowship with the Father, a fellowship that we lost as as uh, as humanity in the Garden by the the introduction of sin uh, by Adam and Eve. So we have a hope for a restored relationship with our creator that was severed by sin. We have a hope um, that even when uh, God meets us and we surrender to him, we have a hope that he is going to um, to grow us, to make us more like the one who has saved us. So not that we will be perfect, but we will be we will be um, living, uh, aspiring to live the, the human experience in the, the fullest way that God intended for us or, or working towards that. Now, not of our own uh, energy or ability, but by, by what, what God empowers us to do as he reveals to us the areas in which uh, we must abandon and surrender anew uh, to, to have and grow in the mind of Christ, as scripture points to. It gives us a hope. That um, as we acknowledge our finite or our limited uh, nature and existence, um, it gives us a hope that though um, death awaits each of us, physical death uh, awaits each of us, that there's a hope beyond that death. Um, you know, if you if you ever think about your own death, there's undoubtedly some association with everything going black. You know, the lights get turned off. Well, right. There's there's that hope uh, that we have in Christ that, that that's not actually the case. Right. That there is 
something beyond and that that something beyond is to to be face to face with our savior so it's it's a hope in in every facet that we might imagine uh, because of the fullness of who god is there is nothing about our existence that escapes him and there right. in, in that in that light um that means that there's nothing about our existence that is absent the hope of Christ uh, when we are in Christ. Right. And so that I think that's totally on point. I, I believe one of the things that really speaks to this particular aspect is precisely the text that you selected to bring us a message from. Now, oftentimes, folks, if you're if you're watching this and you're familiar with how the Advent season works. There's very selected scriptures that go with it. However, um, we are following the one-year chronological reading plan for the Bible. And so that means that the aim through the preaching calendar from January all the way to the end of December of this year is going to be to glean from the texts that we have available to us in the reading uh, plan and then as a result of that, to actually um, preach from one of those texts. And so Pastor Dan, uh, during the, the last week, which would have been Sunday from the previous week all the way through Saturday, had access to those texts. And so in that particular reading plan, he actually brought us to Romans 3, uh, verse 21, all the way through 27, correct? Yes. And so... What we see here is Paul expressing to the Roman church uh, the need for hope better than what the world can offer. Uh, the need for someone greater than even the emperor of Rome himself, or even at a most basic level, better than any hope we can provide for ourselves. And so, Pastor Dan, why don't you, why don't you walk us through your study time and how you were brought to this point uh, at this text to talk to us about hope. Well, the, the thing that, uh, the thing that has to be acknowledged is that for, for there to be Romans chapter three, verse 21, there has to be Romans chapter one, Romans chapter two and Romans mm -hmm. chapter three, verses one through 20. Um, and there you go. And so I just, uh, I just put on the, the captain obvious statement, but the point is, um, that when when we drop into a, a passage just in the middle of a chapter, we have to acknowledge that a particularly a letter, which is what the the type of biblical material that we're engaging with here, is just like with any other letter. If you drop into the third page, uh, in the middle of the page, and, and just begin to try to ascertain what's being communicated, you can't really. Um, fully grasp what has been what's what's being communicated without understanding what has been communicated. And so right. for lack of a better term, what Paul had been working through that we did not read, um, at least from the pulpit, but we would have read chronologically is everything around us is absolutely fallen. Right. That's what he's dealing with in, in the first couple of chapters that he's telling this Roman church, because they're they're dealing with their infighting. Uh, that that's the specific issue that he's addressing as he's writing this letter. Um, you have Gentile Christians who um, who 
had become more or less the de facto leaders of the church because there was an issue within Rome that caused the then emperor to disperse all of the Jews uh, from Rome, including the Jewish Christians. So the Gentile Christians uh, were able to stay around. Um, Gentile just just hear that as the, those who were born as Roman citizens, not not uh, not with any Jewish heritage. The ones with Jewish heritage, they had to leave for a few years, and so they come back. And all of the Christian churches are absolutely Gentile. Um, and you've got that uh, cultural issue going in where now you've got two different cultures of people trying to get reintegrated because Christians are going to gather. It, it's kind of the same way that you might have different cultures today. Um, and cultures can be both age uh, as well as um, ethnic things. Um, so imagine you've got a senior adult church and a, uh, and a and a 20-something-year-old church, and suddenly now you're going to mix these two together. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some healthy debate about how you do church. Um, that's what's happening here. And so there, there apparently uh, is some debate about who's got the, the inside track to, to Jesus in this Roman church. And Paul is saying, you know what? All of you are absolutely fallen. In fact, everyone in all creation is absolutely fallen. Uh, and all of us are without hope. Just FYI. That's what he's explaining. Um, sure. And and getting into Romans chapter 3, he specifically now points the finger on this the fallenness of creation. He says very specifically, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Um, and so when we're talking about the aspect of hope uh, within Advent, um, we have to acknowledge, that as this biblical material introduces to us, is that apart from Christ, eternally, and even in, uh, in, in a, in a, um, in a present way, we lack any real handle on access to a lasting hope. And Paul is then communicating, here's real hope. And he begins to express what Christ has done that offers a hope that um, that addresses the hopelessness and the fallenness of all creation that he'd been explaining for the first two and a half chapters. Right. And so now you get to the other side of that equation and then you get to where uh, we talk about, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And so now what is he talking about? I know I'm asking very, just very plain questions, but I think it's important. Yeah. So he's talking about there is uh, he's, he's signaling uh, to, to the Jewish element of the church um, and certainly our, our collective inherited um, heritage as Christians in general, that all of the Old Testament materials were always alluding to the work of Christ. They were all pointing to the need for a, a perfect sacrifice. Um, and so now we're talking about the, the sacrificial system that, that the Lord gave to, to Israel through Moses um, that's, that's in our, the first few books of the Bible. Um, where there were specific 
acts that were to be performed that would have uh, sacrificed um, unblemished animals uh, that would require the, the blood that was shed of them to be offered upon um, something called a mercy seat um, that would have uh, symbolically offered atonement for the sin of the nation. But it didn't do anything in any lasting way. And so the the law and the prophets pointed to this. Uh, so it was saying it was the law and the prophets, the, the Old Testament was uh, was given to us, uh, given to humanity to condition our minds for the expectation of a sacrifice to atone sins so that when Christ abandoned heaven, as Paul tells us or tells the Philippians, um, and in his great humility, adds humanity to his existence and lives a perfect and sinless life and goes to a cross as a substitute for humanity and bears upon himself the iniquity and wrath of God standing in, in our place. That's the sacrifice that the law and the prophets have been pointing to for millennia. Right. And I think this is something that going through a one-year reading plan, which, uh, believe it or not, there are pastors out there who say you don't need to be bothering yourself to read the Bible all the way through to see the whole story um, as we have by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I love to see how, as you were, pre as you were preaching on Sunday and teaching the congregation, we hear hints that come and echoes, loud echoes from Leviticus, from Exodus. I mean, heck, Genesis 3, um, which is uh, whenever you mention the, the uh, Helisterion and Kephar, uh, the, the, the terms for atonement, my mind went to what the, the first use of the, that we have in the Bible of uh, atone. Um, it's when after Adam and Eve, um, have committed sin, they, they're hiding, and they try to cover themselves with figs. They, they try to atone in their insufficient way, covering themselves up with fig leaves. But God comes, and he sacrifices an animal to use the skin of the animal to wholesomely cover them for the very first time it's it's the type and shadow of the of the of, uh, the evangel the um the good news the gospel for us today how that how god in in such a perfect way through the shedding of blood even in genesis chapter 3 points us now to the cross points us now to the empty grave and so uh, i know for me that that was a uh, that continues to be a moment of um continued learning an appreciation for the word of God, because as we are now reading more than two thirds of the book after the fact, we're talking about chapter three, and, and this is just a standard ESV Bible. So chapter three is right about here. This is chapter three right here. And now we've made it to Romans. And we're still talking about something that God did all the way back here. So to me, yeah, so, it's, it's so amazing. It's, it, it, what I would say for in what you're pointing out uh, and just drawing that to a point of practical application. One of right. the things that gets, gets so challenged today 
is the the question of um, who wrote the Bible, right? Um, and one thing that that I that you and I affirm, uh, one thing that that is uh, an affirmation of this church is that the Bible uh, has God for its author. Now right. he he used human agents to uh, to to record it on on paper, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. It has God for its author, and the point that Pastor Carlos is making is through the five inches of very very thin paper uh, that represent each page of of the Bible that he was demonstrating with that. Though the human agents that God inspired um, to to record Scripture, though their personalities or their their um, their areas of of influence, um, we can detect through their humanness where where they're writing from, their positions, uh, those types of aspects of their very humanness. The fact that there is this. Uh, crimson thread that runs from cover to cover in the scripture, it points to beyond a shadow of a doubt, the fact that there is a, a single divine, and this is D-I-V-I-N-E, author yeah. <laughs> for the entirety of scripture. Um, yeah. God has authored this. And the and we know this by the evidence of the fact that the the story is consistent over millennia, like thousands right. of years. This the this this redemptive work of God, um, the 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 storyline has been intact. There are numbers of characters, um, and I'm not fictionalizing this at this point, but I'm just saying there are a, a countless numbers of humans who are included in this story. Right. Um, by the way, being in Christ, I'm included in this in this story, although my name's not on any page uh, of Scripture. I'm well, part actually, of there is a tribe of Dan, okay. just saying. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> Um, there's also a tribe of Asher, which is my middle name. So um, I'm, I am that anointed. Anyway, so, so what, what you're um, saying is you're there by first name, middle name, uh, not last name, because I don't see many Newbergs yeah. there. But you're also there by your initials. <laughs> yes, um, I love the, it. The, the the fact of the matter is um, that what Pastor Carlos is pointing to is if if you've had doubt about the authority of scripture for your life. If you've had doubt about um, the the source of the Bible, I, I, I hope you would sincerely hear us um, and, and consider it for yourself. This is God's word. And right. because it's God's word, you can trust it and you should view it as authoritative for your life. And, don't hear me saying give it a try. I'm not. I'm not uh, asking for the, the 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 college best kind of thing, but I am inviting you to to take the Bible for what it is, and and see see for yourself what a life that honors God as God has invited each human uh, to do in response to His Word. See the quality of life. Um, that that can be found in obedience to God.
That's right. I think this is also a good segue to the next portion of the, of the text that you covered from Romans, uh, verse 23. This is part of the famous Roman road. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth or forward as a propitiation by his blood. Again, we're now read that one segment that leads us led me back down the rabbit trail back to Genesis 3 uh, in the atonement. Uh, Through his propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he hath passed over many former sins. Um, What does this remind you of in the Old Testament? So this particular aspect is taking me back to Leviticus 16. Is that what you're thinking about? I'm thinking of that, but I'm also thinking of the very first Passover. Oh, sure. In Exodus, Uh, the forbearance of sins, uh, Moses meeting with Pharaoh saying, Hey, the next plague comes out of your mouth. Pharaoh says, well, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm going to kill your firstborn. Shouldn't have said that. And mm-hmm. sure and behold, lo and behold, the spirit, the, the angel of God passes through um, the entire country of Egypt and all the firstborn are, are that di- have died the following morning. And this is where we see this is the setting for the, the Passover, right, where sacrifice a lamb has to be a year old or younger. It cannot be with speck or any blemish or any defect. Uh, collect the blood. Get hyssop. Another another reference that we talked about uh, uh, in the atonement and the sacrifice during the service and anoint or anoint or mark the door with the, the blood and remain inside that house until morning. Do not come out. Don't don't peek through the windows. Stay inside. Um I, I believe it was this past Sunday also where where you made the, the I believe it you made it I may have been dreaming because I my brain goes into these little waves while you're preaching, not a commentary on the preaching by the way because I can see you smiling, but rather because it the biblical connections take me different ways when I hear them. Um, I believe you said something to the point of our. Gosh, now I'm losing it as I'm explaining myself. Um, in this, you, I believe you made a comment about how we, gosh, where, where am I trying to go? Okay, feel free to jump in because <laughs> my brain is it's not clear on this. I knew what I wanted to say, but I lost it. What, I guess I'll, I'll loop us back into this. I love how just in reading Paul, because he was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, he can bring us back to appreciate how God has constantly been redeeming his people. And how he has consistently, unchangingly, like God, because he does not change, has shown his grace, his mercy to his people. And to your, here it is, to the point of, your, of the sermon, that should give us hope. You're like, dude, that should? was the longest. <laughs> You're like, that was the longest rambling session. Sorry. This pro- this uh, part- It's uh, It's kind of like Paul, man. I feel like I'm reading one of his letters. There's no no commas, no periods, just just going. That is the Greek language. <laughs> A bunch of running sentences, run on sentences. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I particularly enjoy that. But anyway, you also made a point, uh, another point you made, and I do have this one in writing. You said that one of the reasons that we should have hope in Christ is because of verse 23 as a whole. The fact that we are sinners. How should the fact that we are sinners give us hope in a living God? Because I I can tell you this. You and I read publications from Christianity Today and other Christian outlets that tells us that people don't believe in God. Um, there's also one because we are working to... Our, our new um, mission statement is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. One of the biggest affronts to that is there's a growing number of millennials and younger generations that do not believe that Jesus Christ was sinless, nor that he was God in the flesh. So where can we express this hope to a generation that's struggling with that? We've already made an appeal like, hey, don't give it a college try, but taste and see that God is good. How can we take that a, a step further for those who are younger than us? Because we're getting up in age, dude. I hate to say this, but this is the truth. So you're, you're asking, how can we, how can we make the practice? How can we make the, the fact that we are all sinners practical? Mm-hmm. And how, why should that bring us to hope in Christ when a lot of people now doubt that he was God in the flesh? Well, I want to, I guess I, I want to address the, the second part first. And sure. I, because it's the second part that I think there's, it is really, is really where I, I would find myself having the greatest um, ability to, to stand upon um, sure. where we sacrifice um, our voice in the secular world uh, into, into the mind of secular man and woman is whenever we espouse or push secondary things to the Christian faith. In mm. other words, if, if we're, if we are so, um, if we're so hard and fast about pushing a particular view of something, say creation or a particular view of the end beyond, uh, and by the way, I have particular views on these things. Okay. Don't hear me saying that you should not have one. Um, but to say that I make my view on creation, um, the, the particularness of it beyond a simple statement like God created all things out of nothing, which is right. true and universally accepted in Orthodox Christianity um, or a particular view on the return of Jesus, because there are a number of views about the particulars of when and how and whatever about his second coming. Um, if I if I lead with and make it a, a a hill to die on for the particularness of my view on his coming, rather than saying he is literally coming one day, I don't know when, but he is. That's the Orthodox Christian universally held view. He's coming. Get ready. Buckle up. If I make the particular facets of my view that what I lead with. I'm leading with the wrong things. That's not the hills. Those are not the hills we die on. Right. The hill we die on is the empty tomb. Um, and I, I bring us to 
um, the, the second question and take us to that empty tomb because nowhere else in any other system of faith do we have a God who in, in the human sense dies um, and is raised again. We don't have any coming back from, from death stories um, from, from any other system of faith. And you've got to deal, every person um, has got to deal with the question of how do you, how do you uh, dispute the Christian claim of the empty tomb? Because I can take you to uh, Muhammad's tomb. I can take you to every every place they, they've done something with the Dalai Lama, right? I can take you to all of those places, but I can't take you to where Jesus's body is because he's ascended. He's not mm-hmm. in the tomb anymore. Um, so in answering your second question, I lead with that, that that is that's where we that's where we start, I think. Um, and that's our hill to die on as Christians. And so from that, then I work backwards. Why, why did a tomb need to be emptied? Why was a body put in the tomb in the first place? Um, right. And that then gets me very quickly to the cross and the, the, the necessity of the cross. Um, but I think more practically, you're asking, you're asking, I think, a, a philosophical question that maybe some out there might espouse that say, I, I don't do anything wrong. I, I don't actually sin. Is that is that what you're suggesting? Well, sure, we can take it that way. Um, that's not that's not exactly what I'm meaning. What I'm meaning is for an audience that perceives that God is not real, that Jesus Christ is not who he claimed he was. How do we then present them with a hope that we are celebrating this Advent season? And I think you answered that rather well. Now, if we want to answer the philosophical question of pretending that we are sinless individuals or that original sin does not exist, then we can go that route too. But so, I mean, I, I, I think I would, I would go with or answer uh, pointing to that empty tomb. Sure. And I think that's, um, again, to quote Mike Lycona and others before him, that's where the Christians come and make their, their stronger case, right? You can always say, no, the miracles were this or the miracles were that. But Jesus talked about miracles, right? right. I mean, he, 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 he obviously um, performed as a, rare, as a weird word. Um, he, he completed miraculous events um, right. that were initiated by him. But he also warned against the pursuit or the the evidence of miracles as a validation of anything. Jesus right. even said, don't, don't make a big deal out of these things. Um, they're right. just much like the law and prophets were pointing to the crucifixion or to the, to the death of Christ and his shed right. blood. The, the, the miraculous events that were per, that have been performed by God, they're like the relationally. They are like the law and the prophets with relationship to the cross. They're pointing to the kingdom that's to come, right? Where the dead do rise, um, where where there is no sickness, um, there there are no more shed tears. Um, that that they're all pointing to what we're awaiting, right? So hope. Then, what hope is there apart from Jesus? 
I mean, None. I mean, I can hope all I want in my two kids, but they're not guaranteed, right? They 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 themselves are finite. Um, I I I pray that this is not the case, but they're not guaranteed to be alive at the end of my life. What happens if my rest my hopes in them? Um, What happens if if my relationship with them disintegrates? What goes with my hopes that I had in them? Um, What happens when my hope is in my retirement account and the market takes a nosedive? Where do my hopes go? What happens when my hope was in cryptocurrency that (laughs) is not what it was in the last six months? What happens to my hopes then? Um, what happens when my hope is in my marriage, when my hope is in my vocation, and I'm laid off? Right. Um, the, the, the fact is, if we are such creatures of like physical things, right? We have to touch it. We have to see it. We have to feel it. And that's part of our, our existential nature. We are, we are beings that have senses, but the hope of Christ calls us beyond the physical sense to the spiritual sense. And if our, if our hopes are in things that themselves are finite, then we have no hope that, that surpasses all understanding. Uh, we have no hope that ensures us that, we, it, that it will carry us to the end of our lives. We have no hope that goes beyond the end of our lives. Right. And I think that this, this becomes very practical for us, um, particularly in a holiday season, because we're reminded of those who are not gathered around a table. Um, right. when we have a, a meal. Um, we're reminded of, uh, of the things we've lost the people who we've lost and there's no hope for us. Um, if there's not the hope for those who've gone before us, who died in Christ, that we might be reunited with them. Right now. I, I, I balance that with my hope that my foremost hope is not to see my, um, my loved ones after life. Like that, that's, that's a, that's a secondary aspect of hope. My hope is to be with my creator, um, and to, to experience him and look upon him. Um, that's heaven to me. Um, if there are others whom I've loved, um, and shared life with who are there, that adds to it, but that's not, that's not the, the primary basis of my hope. My hope is, is to experience in the most real way, in the fullest way, who God is. Um, and right now we, we see through a, a glass dimly lit. Right. How very Pauline of you to say that. Thanks. You're very, very fitting. Uh, and yes, I, I think that's absolutely right. One of the things that... Uh, we tend to forget, even in, even in the church, is that it's not pastoral teams, it's not ministries, 
but it is the, what we encourage ourselves by simply gathering together every Sunday to worship the one who rose again. And if, if that ever becomes just the, the one and only thing that church, churches ever do um, and do well, I think that's enough. Uh, it will be sufficient because everything else comes pouring out of that. The, the understanding that we live and, and we die and we carry out life by the way of our hope in Christ. Which, by the way, if just Google hymns about hope in Christ and you're going to find scores of them online. And there's many uh, good ones and many uh, ones that just bring you to tears. So anyway. I personally don't have any other questions to ask other than give us a give us a brief um, overlook of where we are headed for the ne next couple of weeks, Sunday mornings. Uh, next, this coming Sunday, we will be in Second uh, Corinthians chapter one. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to. So our Advent theme is peace. Um, and Paul is introducing a second letter to the Corinthians, and he is uh, introducing that by sharing with them hardships that he and Timothy faced as they were um, as they were doing ministry in Asia. Mm. Um, I, uh, without committing to a whole lot, because it's only Tuesday, um, mm -hmm. I I have in mind uh, just some of what we were talking about. Um, the, the hardships and difficulties we face now in the holiday season, they're not on parity with the hardships that Paul and Timothy face, right? That, that we're talking whippings and lashings and stonings for, for those brothers. Um, but I do want to connect with um, the peace that is found in, in the Advent season when we understand who Christ is, what he, what, uh, what he, the peace he offers us and the peace that he offers specifically in this season um, when we struggle so mightily. Right. And so I know that uh, the following Sunday, I, I'll be the one filling the pulpit after the 11th. And so I know that I'm leaning towards Hebrews um, to speak on the theme of joy. And then we'll be right up until the the next uh, Sunday, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's when we cover love, right? Uh, so, sorry, we, we have flipped this. Um, so I have, it's peace um, this Sunday on the 4th, the 11th. And joy. I have, then I have uh, love on the 11th. You have joy on the 18th. And so, yes. um, there you go. And so... Um, Love, love. Um, I will be looking at uh, Philippians chapter two for love. There you go. There you go. Uh, a love, um, a love, a love that abandons he heaven. Uh, a, a humble love. There you go. So I think we're we're gonna be following that crimson cord, that crimson string, fairly close. Um, one of the things for those in the audience that are maybe listen or watch, we want to invite you to join us uh, if you are in the area. For a worship, uh, we have 8, 3 a.m. services, 11 a.m. services, and then in between we have 9.45 Sunday school. We also have this uh, this week, tomorrow, or depending on when this posts, on the 30th of November, we also have a Fifth Wednesday sing. And so what that will do is 
will have a time of worship and it's going to be Christmas carols. So that is definitely something that we encourage people to come to. Um, we have we have one other thing. Go ahead. Uh, we have one other thing, as you may have detected in some of the background to our conversation. We also have clean potties. Um, so <laughs> that's what's been going on. Um, and that uh, that's apparently a, an important factor, right? That's why I stop at Bucky's or clean potties. And so we have them here, too, um, in addition to all of that. Um, that's what you've heard in the background, not, not just utilization, but, but cleaning. So they're ready for you. Come on. <laughs> oh man! The, the not the, the the saying most people think it's in the Bible. Cleanliness is close to godliness, right? No, it's not, not in the Bible. Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's just a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is. Especially when using the restroom. Anyway, so we want to invite you to to come and join us to that. Uh, if you are uh, in the area uh, and you are looking for a, a church to call your home, come visit. We have a. Uh, a new way of introducing our uh, visitors to learning more about who we are. We have a discovering first, joining first, and then there's a number of ways that you can get plugged into what God is doing here at First Baptist Divine. Um, again, should you listen to this far, thank you for sticking out with us at almost 50 minutes. This is Pastor Dan and Pastor Carlos, and please know that it is a, a an honor and a pleasure to just have this opportunity to be before you and have very open conversations at times, even the ramblings of a funky Mexican like myself. So with that being said, Pastor Dan, anything else? God bless you. And may you know the hope that can only be found in Christ by trusting in him. Amen. Well, with that being said, we'll see you next time. And until then, may God richly bless you and keep you and watch over you and your family. 